The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, building power in the time of a pandemic, we cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and reconstruction. It's a challenging time. It's a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99 because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Wherever you took my head, baby, send it home. Send it on home. I really think I lost my head because it's females on the Our guest this week, I'm so excited about this, is an award-winning journalist and staff writer for The Atlantic where she covers sports, race, politics, and culture. She is the host of the podcast, Jamel Hill is Unbothered on Spotify, which is one of my faves. She's originally from Detroit. What up, though? And it's important that I make this distinction. She's from Detroit, Detroit, not suburban Detroit. (laughs) So now that I cleared that up, say hello to my sis, Jamel Hill. Hi, Jamel. And you got two things. Already you're batting a thousand because you said what up, though, which is the prerequisite for anybody from Detroit. That's our official greeting. And I should expect Oakland to know that because Oakland and Detroit are like like first cousins. Yeah, sister cities. Yeah, very similar. (laughs) And of course, making it clear that I am from Detroit, Detroit. Or as I like to tell people, I'm from the real hood, not the rap hood. So, (laughs) yeah. I'm so excited that you're here. And this conversation is long overdue, child. We had to take it out the text threads and bring it onto the pod. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. So hope I could be Uh, half as entertaining on this as I am on the text thread. (laughs) You know, exactly. Oh, we about to go in. Trust me. So I got to ask because apparently people have it fucking confused. We are still in a pandemic. (laughs) I don't know why people are out here doing the fucking most and the least at the same time. But I will ask you, Jamel, like I ask all of our guests, please tell me, how are you faring (laughs) during this quarantine? And have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? So um, thanks. I appreciate you asking that. I mean, I'm faring fairly well, all things considering. It's it's a weird thing for me to talk about because this has probably been the busiest year of my career. And 
in a way, I don't really love sharing that only because I know that so many people are in much different situations. Some people are out of work, have been laid off, or are on the front line and and trying to work through the pandemic because they don't have any other choice. And so I'm very fortunate and blessed to be able to have made a living inside of my office for, you know, since March. Yeah. And uh, so, which comes with its own unique set of challenges because there are just some days where you don't really see outside or mm-hmm. you're just stuck That's in right. an office, right? You're just stuck <laughs> at an office, at a desk, at this mic, yes. you know, <laughs> continuous, endless Zoom calls mm-hmm. one after the other because... One thing that's definitely happened as a result of this pandemic is that people feel real comfortable scheduling shit on Saturdays. Yes, they do. And I don't understand why. <laughs> right. It, I mean, I there is this assumption that because you're at home all day, you're not busy. And that's not the same thing. I'm just trapped in a place. That doesn't mean that I don't have a lot of things to do. So just kind of working my way through what is the new normal for everybody right now or for a lot of people. So that part has been interesting. I'm also a newlywed. Yeah. Thank you. That's been good though. I mean, uh, despite the fact that we are spending so much more time together, we were living (laughs) together, but like, you know, it's just like, there's no breaks really. There's there's some, um, but uh, that part has been, has been good. We just uh, finished year one. So um, I I feel like we're off to a, a decent start, right? Yes. Yes. So there's, there's that part of it. And then, you know, I mean, there is a certain amount of mental stress that comes with, not really seeing people, you know, I mean, I, I miss brunch with my girls, you know, I miss the freedom of being able to go to a, a great restaurant, hang out for a happy hour and that's all those right. kinds of things. Yeah. But those, that stuff is permanently shifted. Like, I mean, some of this stuff is coming back, but it's not going to come back in the way that we think that it it will be. So overall, I, I'd say, you know, I'd give myself a, a B for how I've, I'm making it through this pandemic. That's facts. I feel it. Are you developing any unique skills under the Rona? Are you gardening? Are you quilting? Hell like no. what's happening? <laughs> nah. Uh-uh. No. I, I mean, I do. We we do have a plant now. I, I think this thing is alive. I'm not totally <laughs> sure. I'm not really great with plants. But I, I will say that, I mean, I already thought I was a decent cook, but my cooking game has gone to another level in the yes. pandemic. Yes. Come on. Yeah. What are you cooking over there? What you making? So, okay, I could make dinner, I could make lunch, but breakfast was never my thing, I right? Mm-hmm. Omelet game now, stupid. Yes. Stupid now. Like, they can't touch me on these omelets, right? Yes. My omelet game is fire, you know? And Yeah, and I, I know people are going to be like, oh, but that seems so simple to make. Not omelets, that is. But this next thing is... My cheese grits... Unbelievable now. They um, they unreal now. Yes. So it's like, you know, that has been the one beauty of the pandemic is that, you know, you're not going to restaurants. So it forces you to start experimenting. I mean, this year for Thanksgiving, I mean, we did order a turkey and a ham from good old Honey Baked. Shout out to Honey Baked. Shout out. But I made, (laughs) yes, but I made all the sides, you know. Um, I always, I I was good with greens already, but like I did the mac and cheese, my mom's mac and cheese, her dressing. We had a Zoom call that was like three hours. You know, it's so interesting taking cooking directions from from old black people because they don't measure anything. And so she's right. like, flip the Zoom camera around so I can see. 
She's like, uh uh-uh. uh, no, a little more, a little more. And I was like, I have no idea what this measurement would be. But it just, it was so fun to to do that. And we had made it before together, but in person. So doing it over Zoom just added an extra layer of blackness to all oh, of I this. love that so much. So I will have walked away from Miss Rona knowing how to do a shrimp omelet, knowing how to do a cheese scallion, what like yes. whatever. Like Come I got on. you on the omelets. <laughs> So, okay, look, how many times in the last few years have you been called a racist for talking about race? (laughs) I mean, I need you to help the people listening understand why talking about race is not actually racist, but calling people racist for talking about race is, in fact, racist. It is. Can we just talk about this? Like, what the fuck is going on? I'm also amazed at how offensive the word racist has suddenly become. Of course, that depends on who it's directed at, yes. right? But we, we all know when white people get called a racist, that's their N-word. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm like, what? It's not the same. I'm like, oh, okay. They are you deeply, know. deeply perturbed by that word. Oh, my goodness. Like, the reaction to it is just outstanding. They're more upset about being called one than actually doing racist shit, which is, like, that's exactly unbelievable right. to me. Yeah. So, I imagine you have gotten called a racist pretty much, I mean, very consistently. So, I, I think your number would, would top mine. But I have been called a racist pretty much my entire journalistic career, which now goes back over 20 years. Like, it's not new. It's something that I'm fairly used to, uh, which I guess is not a good thing. But there is this confusion that people believe that if you talk about race, and especially in any kind of way that is going to hold either the system or people accountable, you are indeed the real racist. And you're the one who is actually responsible for why racism exists in America. And my other sort of twin to that is you're dividing the country by actually bringing to light and bringing awareness, having a conversation, demanding accountability to people who are clearly racist or have no problem with racism, are white supremacists, white... Na- like, you, I'm the problem, not the people who are actually doing these things. And it's just a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. What really upsets people is when they're forced to think about how they're complicit in the system. That's what gets everybody uncomfortable and defensive and jostled is if you admit and cop to the fact that America is racist. Because if people love to say, oh, I know it's a racist country, but well, then when you kind of ask them, like, where is that racism happening or, you know, what is it doing and where are these systems occurring? Then they don't have like a whole lot of conversation with you about you know, how these systems are being maintained. And then they're like, oh, racism. Well, it's somewhere out there. It's like, it's not some kind of weird particle. Mm -hmm. Like, it's this abstract thing. They're like, oh, I know racism exists, but not in this case or whatever. Well, if you know it exists, where does it exist? That's right. And then that's when they kind of have to do the extra thinking about where it exists. And therefore, then they have to think about their role in racism. And then all the defensiveness comes out. So I'm (laughs) not bothered by the people who call me racist. I'm more, if anything, sad for them because they don't even understand where they have failed in this conversation. And for that matter, they don't understand how they're perpetuating racism just by accusing me of being a racist just based off something that they don't like or they don't want to answer to. I appreciate that answer 
because too many people think that racism is about people being mean to each other, which is why people don't identify with it because they're taught, right, this fairy tale that racism is really about calling people bad names or refusing to, you know, be friends with somebody who moves into your neighborhood, as opposed to rules, <laughs> rules that have been rigged forever <laughs> that benefit some people over other people. It's actually very fucking basic, but people get basic with it because to identify and acknowledge that everything in your life is designed to either benefit you <laughs> or to hold you back from power, resources, etc. I honestly feel like people get into a thing where they be like, because I believe the story about if you work hard, then everything that <laughs> you want comes to you. Well, I work hard and I don't think that I haven't earned the things that I get. And I feel like people have a hard time with that kind of like privilege, earning what what you deserve, right? <laughs> Versus what you've worked for. And I'm like, it's actually not about any of that shit. Lots of people work really hard <laughs> and they don't get to advance. And it's not because they're not intelligent or they haven't put it in. It's literally that the rules are rigged. I, I You know what I'm saying? I know. I know exactly what you're saying, because when you say white privilege, white people automatically think they tune out. Well, <laughs> yeah, they tune out. And they also believe that you're saying that what you have, you didn't work for, though, in some cases, some of them didn't. But that's besides the point. Right. <laughs> that they certainly there you go again. Got put on. I'm just saying some of them did not like. All right. Some of them actually were born on third base, acting like they hit a triple. Like we, we know those type of people exist. Right. But. We're not saying that you didn't work hard or that you you weren't smart enough or good enough. But what we are saying is that we are very much in a racial caste system that rewards skin color, that penalizes for skin color. Because if it rewards, it's got to do the opposite as well. And you need to understand how your skin color has enabled you just certain basic things. It's not about you got a promotion because you are white. It's about the fact that if a police officer rolls up on you, you're not going to fear for your life because you know That's they ain't right. going to do shit to you, right? That's right. That, in it, that in itself is a privilege, okay? The privilege of knowing... No one's going to call the police on you for basically fucking breathing. That's what that's that's the privilege of existing, right? That's and right. so those are hard things for people to accept because, again, you have to examine where you're complicit in the system. And when we start doing that and digging deeper into certain layers, it's it gets uncomfortable for a lot of folks. So, you know, me being called a, a racist and a black supremacist, which is my new favorite, <laughs> a black supremacist, that's my new favorite. I'm like, whoo, but oh that don't God. even go together. But I just, okay. I know. It's like uh, the black supremacist is like the new rage. That's like the new term that we are now. That's like amazing. That reminds me of yeah. that Dave Chappelle skit. <laughs> the white the white black supremacists. I honestly think that's where it started. I think they were imagining a world where black people have, you know, concocted this reality around ourselves that we're superior to everyone because they, of course, mistake our empowerment, um, us just simply frankly behaving as they do as being right. us being you know black supremacists in some ways 
You know, to them, like, BET is black supremacy. <laughs> I, I can't. I cannot. Okay, so for everybody who's listening right now, I want to tell you, racism is about rigged rules. Jamel Hill does not make the rules, but you know what? Maybe she should. Okay? Maybe she should. <laughs> Maybe she should. I have a feeling we'd be better the fuck off, so... I want to get into a conversation about sports, um, mm-hmm. of which I know nothing. So I just want to say that. <laughs> okay. Jump. You know, sports is one of those places. Here's what I do know about sports. It's one of those places where Black folks in particular are told to shut up and play the game. Shut up and entertain us. Okay? And you yourself have been accused of being too political when it came to sports reporting. Mm-hmm. So... Is there any way, in your opinion, to avoid being political when reporting about sports? In other words, can you avoid being political when the overwhelming majority of players <laughs> in basketball and football are black? Like, why do we have this dynamic where this particular arena feel it needs to be devoid of politics? But how the fuck is that even possible? given? who comprises the industry, given all of these different things. Come on and break it down for me, please. So sports has never been apolitical, ever, right? Um, And we need to, first of all, we need to define what we mean by politics, because often it's not even politics. We're talking about issues of humanity, Mm -hmm. right? Treating Black people with dignity and respect and as full human beings and full citizens is not a political issue. That is a human rights issue. And they decided to put everything in the crockpot. Racism, sexism, xenophobia, and say, that's all politics. Like, politics implies there's a debate. What's the debate? Okay? Like, are you pro-racism? Like, what are we talking about here? So, really, and this is not a construct that is unique to Black people because we see it in other professions, that there is this idea that when we are successful, when we have some degree of white acceptance that we need to be grateful and thankful that we are one of the few that got let into this special club. And therefore, the price of us being let in is to never remind them that we're fully functioning whole ass black people in America who are living under a racist and oppressive system. They never want to be reminded of that. They just want to be entertained. They just want our our black bodies to be used to their benefit and to their enjoyment, and then that's it. And so there is this permeating idea in sports that Black athletes, because of the position they're in, do not get to have a voice in the country in which they pay taxes and they live in, and they're still Black people in, and they still have, they come from Black communities and Black family members who are underneath this whole system that they don't get to speak to that system and and the toll that it takes and that they don't get to have a voice and power, um, especially as they're the economy that is funneling a lot of money into other people's pockets, white pockets, because of mm-hmm. that dynamic that you mentioned. White ownership, black players. White fans, black players. We know what that dynamic is really saying. And so... As a result of this, Black athletes often get a tremendous amount of backlash whenever they speak to racial issues. It's always been the case. I mean, 
just it's not necessarily my lifetime, but in a recent lifetime. I mean, we can go from Muhammad Ali all on up to Colin Kaepernick to LeBron mm-hmm. James. There's a long history there mm-hmm. of black athletes who have been told this. Serena Williams, Venus Williams. I mean, it's there. Um, so, you know, uh, the, the the thing about sports fans is I do understand for some of them sports is entertainment. It's a release. It's an escape. But that being said, they are fooling themselves into acting as if the universe is happening one place and sports is in a totally different universe. They're in the same place. That's of right. course, sports is um, it, it, that you will see racism and um, homophobia and sexism and misogyny in sports. It's in society. Yes, you would see it there. It's not going to not. It's going to say, you know what? That's tennis. I'm skipping over that. Like, no, that's not how it works, right? It's everywhere. You know, it's why you have a league uh, like the NFL, which is 75% black, and they have four black head coaches. They got their first black team president this season in over 100. We're talking about a 100-year history. They got their first black team president, uh, a brother who's running the, the, the Washington football team right now. Um, they have two black general managers. So how is it that despite the fact that this sport is overwhelmingly black, there's never been a black owner. There's very little black leadership. So what is that saying? That we're good enough to be the mules, but not good enough to run the fields. I mean, right. it's just what it is. Right. And you can find it to be that way in virtually every sport where we dominate. And so we have to ask ourselves, how is this any different than what we see in Fortune 500 companies in America and every sector of life? That's what it looks like. So sports is not devoid of this at all. So I find the people that want to pretend as if they don't want their mashed potatoes and peas mixed together, Uh-oh. that they're just being <laughs> a, a, they're just being intellectually um, dishonest because that whole stick to sports thing, notice it, it's only there for some conversations. And I'm not certainly not belittling or diminishing these issues, but nobody says stick to sports when we're talking about domestic violence or cancer, when it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month or when it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month or when it's other causes. No one says stick to sports. You should only be about the game and this and that. They only say it when it's about racism, black advancement and black progress. That's the Mm -hmm. only time that's said, which means, and you're quite familiar with this, it's not even about the method. It's always the message they don't agree with. Right. And so they, they they just hide behind the method and saying dumb shit like stick to sports or no politics right. in sports. You know, the president kept saying that, but he certainly didn't mind using Colin Kaepernick to gain political points. He ain't sticking to sports. That's for damn sure. Or was Correct. it? Right? Yeah. Correct. We saw him do this. And uh, he inserted himself with the pandemic in terms of putting the pressure on these college football leagues to play. Because he felt like if he was able to bring football back, that that would earn him points in the voting booth. So, you know, it's just funny who that whole idea of stick to sports applies to and who it doesn't. That's right. Colin Kaepernick has has to stick to sports. But Tim Tebow, somebody, an athlete I'm, I'm definitely friendly with him and known him for a long time. But when he did a pro-life ad during the Super Bowl a few years ago, I didn't hear anybody say it, telling him to stick to sports and to shut up. Oh, yeah, he did a pro-life ad. That didn't happen during the Super Bowl, which is when, you know, people, the, the biggest sort of ad generator and gets the most eyeballs. Nobody said a word about Tim Tebow, but Colin Kaepernick peacefully kneels and the whole damn world is set on fire.
Well, this is shade, honey, because, you know, also nobody told Tom Brady to stick to sports when he was out there talking about he was voting for Donald Trump. I mean, I'm just saying I've heard this man say this shit so many times and I'm like, well, wait a minute now. And like I said, Jamel, I'm not a sports person, but I will tell you, I noticed that and I was like, oh, so Tom Brady can talk all the shit he wants. Colin Kaepernick ain't said a word. He just got down on a damn knee. And he still ain't got no job. I mean, I really... I, okay, let me just move yeah. on, child. It, I mean, it, 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 it is what it is, yeah. <laughs> Your career spans decades. And you're not a stranger to controversy. And it's not because you're a shock jock. It's <laughs> because... You've stayed in people's mouths for saying the things that need to be said. And these are often the kinds of dynamics that activists face. Threats, demeaning behavior, being called out your name just for telling the truth. So I got to ask you, Jamel, what advice do you have for folks who are experiencing this? And what are the things that you do and what are things that you have done to help you weather that storm? Well, um, I appreciate you asking me this. Um, and, you know, I definitely feel like uh, we got our own Bible study group here because we're, <laughs> we're both in this, firmly in this club okay. of, uh, of, right, of being called out our names, called racial mm-hmm. slurs, like mm-hmm. literally all the time, death mm-hmm. threats all the time. And you'd be surprised. You probably wouldn't be surprised. This is, this is the part I wish I were better at. I wish I had normalized it so much. Mm-hmm. Because it's just been happening for such a long time that I think normalizing it is the only way I could deal with it. But I wouldn't advise anybody else do that. Yeah, you know, people are just like, "Oh, you handled it so well," and this and that. And I know they mean it as a compliment, and I accept it as one. But I wish I didn't handle it so well. I wish I would like fly off the fucking handle and cry <laughs> and cut somebody out. And like, mm-hmm. I wish I would. I mean, I go through my moments where. If I got time, especially if you sending me some hateful shit where I'm getting my hair braided and that's six hours in the chair, I'm a brain. I got the choppers coming out. Okay. You caught me at the wrong time. I got too much time and now I'm just okay. gonna try to ruin you. Okay. Right. <laughs> so there is there, there I'm I even I'm prone to those kind of things. But from an emotional standpoint, I don't know if it's healthy the way that I've dealt with it. You know, i as I said, I've been I've been getting hate mail since I was in college. That's the first time I ever received a death threat. I was an opinion columnist. I went to Michigan State. And I didn't get called a nigger until I got to Michigan State. At least not in, with the hard ER. <laughs> I'll say that, right? With the hard ER. <laughs> with the hard ER did not happen to me until Ooh. I got to college, right? And, on, and being called that and those other colorful names on a regular basis. And as jarring as it was... It was nevertheless something that I accepted was going to be a part of the job as long as I had the job. Most journalists, regardless of color, are in some ways, unfortunately, you do have to get used to being threatened. It may seem a little weird because it's sports, but y'all be shocked at how out-of-pocket sports fans can get. So for me, I'm thankful that I have a really great support system. I have an awesome text thread with people like you on it that if I need to vent. And just knowing that there are other people who are going through similar things is very helpful. But I wish on a personal level, I internalized it better because 
I don't like telling, you know, young women who want to get into sports or want to get into reporting and journalism. I don't like telling them that they have to have thick skin. I think that's shitty advice because that's given license to the people who say it and saying that you have to change on behalf of somebody else because, um, you know, they're being a, a fucking Neanderthal. So mm-hmm. I guess the, my advice is don't get desensitized to it. Mm-hmm. If people call you sensitive or emotional, like, fuck them. Like, they don't have to go through it, right? Yep. Um, I think you should keep your emotions and keep it in perspective and realize that there's people out there that would take you out just because of the words you say and the viewpoints you have. And I say this constantly about our country. We got the greatest brochure in the world. Brochure is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Got the pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Got the three-bedroom houses, the pretty neighborhoods. Yeah, you start doing some deeper uh, reading. Um, you go to the textbook and not just the pamphlet. It's a whole different story that you get, right? And so because of that, I think it's good for us not to ever make this shit seem like it's normal. And so mm-hmm. don't normalize this kind of behavior because that's part of the reason it's so seeped into our systems now that we have just been told to accept it and it's just a part of life and that's just the way things goes. Nah, fuck all that. You don't get the right to on a daily basis, try to make me feel subhuman because right. you have some questions and about your own character and that, you know, because you're, you yourself are operating in a less than human way. You don't get to do that to me. And so I, I think I'm a little more um, vocal about that. I handle it. It's fine. It doesn't like the people who talk shit about me, guess what they don't do? Sign any of my checks. That's okay. what they don't do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it's like, I can only be so upset because I'm like, all right, you know what? When one of them hate messages comes from my boss or somebody who signs a check, then I'll be, then I'll feel a way about it. But until then, it's like, these people don't even know me. Yeah, Most of y'all, if y'all saw me in person, wouldn't say shit, but ask for a picture. So that's what... Facts, facts. Don't bring the Detroit out though. Come on now. I'm saying, yeah. I'm like, all right, you know. Alice Walker, Nikki Giovanni, Help us make sense of what I think has been a beautiful wave of activism and stepping up for social justice, particularly in the sports sector, because there's been so much conversation this year about BLM as a brand, right? And people talking about folks jumping on the bandwagon. And it was really interesting because when I saw the NBA court says Black Lives Matter and I literally got weepy. Right. Mm. I've seen the WNBA. They're wearing the names of sisters who have been killed by the police on their jerseys. And not only that, but then trolling, trolling with the best of the trolls. (laughs) Kelly Loeffler doing the fucking most. Okay, so they rocking Raphael Warnock T-shirts. So help people understand, because we just talked about how this sports has always been political. But I, I want to hear your opinion on what you, how are you feeling about the things that you're seeing in the industry right now? And what are the risks that people are taking to be able to do that? So there's um, a couple different ways to look at it. I think from the players, this has been a real awakening. And, you know, the one, if you want to call it a silver lining uh, of the pandemic, is that we as a country and as a world were forced to stop. We were forced mm-hmm. to slow down. Mm-hmm. And... As we had slowed down, that's when a number of these incidents we saw this year happened. You know, from uh, George Floyd to Breonna Taylor to Christian Cooper, 
all of these things happened in a very short period of time. And so I think the players really felt compelled, obligated. And, and I mean this in the most positive way. They felt obligated to use their platform to do something that would enact some kind of monumental change. And they became more forceful about it, more forceful than I'd seen them certainly in my sports writing career ever. And so I think their response was very genuine. It was coming from a place of love, also a place of frustration and hurt, much like most Black people felt in this country. But the the difference I draw or the distinction I draw between how they responded and how some of these leagues responded. Come on. The NBA, yeah, the NBA is definitely far more progressive than the NFL. And the NFL, I think it was really insulting to see Commissioner Goodell, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, say that Black Lives Matter because everything that was in the news, the conversation, all of that, it's the same thing Colin Kaepernick said when he started his protest in 2016 and he outlined exactly why he was doing it point by point. It's just the disingenuous people chose to hijack the conversation and make it about performative patriotism. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. And they allowed the the president to, you know, bang that drum um, in in the moment where they needed to have real conviction and stand behind Colin Kaepernick. They didn't. They kowtowed to the president and they were cowardly and weak. And so they want people to forget that happened, but I'm old enough to remember that it did. And so when they come back this year and the commissioner is saying they should have listened to Colin Kaepernick, who, as you pointed out, still does not have a job. Still. And that they that Black Lives Matter and how much the league believes it. I only can look at it as the utmost, most embarrassing example of hypocrisy. Because the only thing that's changed between when um, Mike Brown was killed or even going back before then with Trayvon Martin... And we certainly know history is is unfortunately the litter with those cases. Only thing that changed was public opinion. They just waited till other people joined the bandwagon and they decided to get on the back of the bandwagon. Let everybody else on and be like, oh, now we get now, oh, because public the public says it's okay, because we see that white people are actually joining in this cause. Now it's good. And I'm one of those people who's a big enough asshole that I'm going to judge you (laughs) not by what you do at times of convenience. I'm going to judge you what you do at times of inconvenience. So I am judging him by that mark. And I don't care what Roger Goodell said about Black Lives Matter. And I don't care about them singing Lift Every Voice and Sing the first week of the season. That shit is weak. And I'm just like, (laughs) address it is. It's weak. It's weak to me because... Because listen, the worry about your own league. Worry about why that a player who just stood up for his people and for uh, a humanitarian cause, why him and also Eric Reed, who was his teammate who stood with him or knelt with him, why are they not in the league? That's what you need to address. Right. Um, and again, as I went over the lack of black coaches, the lack of black leadership in decision-making positions, that's what you need to address. Before you say Black Lives Matter, ask yourself, does Black Lives Matter in your own damn league? And Hello. the answer is no. Hello. The answer is no. So therefore, you saying it and you, you know, building these coalitions and doing all this. Mm-mm. Like, yeah, that's nice. And I hope the money goes to good causes for people who need it and goes to further advance progressive agendas. You're still not off the hook. You still you'll never make it right. You you can't, you have it atoned. Okay, it's still a black mark and a blemish on the record. I don't care. And so it's just like, nah, man, that's not going to fly. And so what uh, I was proud of the players, not surprising that 
There were the power structure, again, disappointed because that's what they do. But I'm glad there was a lot of good that came out of it. I mean, you mentioned the Georgia Senate races. I hope people really understand how critical it was what the WNBA players did. And and to give them the full picture, here you have Kelly Loeffler, who is a co-owner of the Atlanta Dream. This is a league that is 80, 85% black women, okay? And she had very negative, derogatory, asinine comments to say about Black Lives Matter. That's right. And she insulted all the women in the league and uh, the players who do not make, they make nothing compared to NBA players. So they have a lot more to risk. They tried to, they wrote a letter. They tried to get her out of the league, a la Donald Sterling style. That wasn't working. And so they said, all right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to back your opponent. And they met with Reverend Raphael Warnock. And because of the pandemic, the WNBA games were pretty much on national TV almost daily. They used this platform. Players across the league wore, you know, vote Warnock. He was polling at 9% when they started this. And now he's on the verge of possibly being senator. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) That tells you the power of organizing, mobilizing, and demanding. And as much as the NBA players and black male athletes have gotten a lot of credit, realize that before Colin Kaepernick took his knee, the Minnesota Lynx, they were the ones who stood up and, and, and stood up against what happened to Philando Castile. Mm. They did it first. Um, right. They wore T-shirts. They spent a whole press conference talking about it. The Minneapolis Police Department, same one that killed George Floyd, was so upset that they walked off their posts at their games and refused to provide them with security. That's how upset they were. And so that was the starting point, you know, and the women have been on the front line consistently mm-hmm. throughout this process. And they do not have the same income. They have much more to lose. And I can't tell your audience how remarkable it is that they would turn on their own owner, the one who signs their checks and back her opponent. If that ain't the pettiest, the pettiest that Listen. I'm here for. <laughs> You Listen, <laughs> as the mayor of Pettyville, I approve of this message. Honey, and yes. it was, it's something. So um, sports, to answer your original question, I gave a very long-winded answer. Uh-uh, it it's was play, so it's, good. It's played an integral part of this movement that we're seeing. And I sense a diff- much different level of commitment in this, these players than I did at any point in, in, in my career. They were dormant for a while, and I think they'd be the first to tell you that, is... You know, um, there was a blueprint that they were following about maximizing as much money, making as much money as possible, being a global brand, staying out of controversies, worrying about if they're offending the wrong people, read white people. They were very consumed by that. That was a huge part of their culture. And I get it. I mean, these are black athletes who are working for generational wealth. They're not trying to mess that up. They're trying to provide better lives for their family. And I think it just took something unfortunately as tragic as many of the things that we have seen for them to really and continue to understand there's not that much distance between you and George Floyd it's not it's it's really hardly any and so I think they're going to carry this message forward it's been such a huge ripple effect that the days of athletes being silent about social and progressive issues is kind of over with I think uh, that toothpaste has effectively left the tube now you know what First of all, thank you. 
because you really just broke it all the way down. I mean, this is why you're good at what you do, Jamel. So <laughs> it's not a surprise. It was just a treat. So thank you for that. Number two, won't black women do it, though? I swear to God, I love, I love the WNBA. And I will tell you right now, facts on facts, I had a conversation with folks this morning. And not only are they going to continue to do it, but we're going to be collaborating. So that's... Oh, that's even better. <laughs> I love it. Voltron, you know, come together. They're so fierce. They're so fierce. And we're just getting started, my friend. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things that Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do this week. Number one, act like some of these white folks ain't lost their minds. Okay, so this week in the news, bands, and I mean droves, of white supremacists upset that their leader, Donald Trump, lost the election and really just angry because they lost the Civil War. Well, these folks attacked Black churches in Washington, D.C. One of said churches, the Metropolitan African Methodist Episcopal Church, was a church that Frederick Douglass used to attend. Yes, that's right. The man who told us that power concedes nothing without a demand? Well, he went to this church, and how fitting, because those words have never rung more true. This wasn't treated like the big deal that it is. And I think we have a real problem here. Lady is concerned that people see these folks and their racial terrorism as an anomaly, as an exception to the rule rather than the rule itself. Yes, these white boy temper tantrums are the sputtering last gasps of this phase of Trump. But rest assured that this is not the last we will see of this or him, frankly. Other things that Lady just ain't going to do this week? Speaking of white dudes doing the most, leaked audio of a meeting between President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and the heads of legacy groups like the NAACP, the Urban League, National Action Network, Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, Black Women's Roundtable, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, and the Leadership Conference for Civil and Human Rights. Well... This meeting seemed to go awry, with the president-elect, frankly, belittling these leaders and whatever ask it was that they went there with. President-elect Biden is heard basically white-manning all over the place and telling a room full of Black people that no one on earth has done as much for Black people as he has, and that if they don't think he has, well, that they could go to hell. I mean, I didn't say it. He said it. Now look, Lady is completely unclear how in the world they kept their cool because ain't no fucking way I'm letting nobody talk to me like that. You got me fucked up. But let's focus on the real point here. I mean, he felt like he could talk to them that way. And besides the obvious point about that being the whitest white man thing to ever white man, there's a bigger point. And the point is, he felt no pressure whatsoever to make any kind of commitments. So little pressure, in fact, that he basically seemed to read the whole group for filth, for even daring to believe that they had the range to make him do a goddamn thing. 
Now sit with that for a minute. So ladies' question is this. How long is it going to take for us to register that now that we have pushed this campaign over the finish line toward victory, that it's accountability time? And by that, I mean this. Don't breathe too deep a sigh of relief, my people. We are not in closed-door meeting time. We are in get-busy-organizing time. Get those demands together and work with each other. Don't be the people trying to get access. It's time to squat up. Joe Biden is not Barack Obama. He is a centrist Democrat who is stuck in another generation when politics were different than they are now. So please don't be mad when I say this, but if you do, oh well, it happens. Proximity is not power. Power is power. And the next time you sit down, make sure you're bringing something to the table and understand very clearly, power conceding to a demand looks like a whole bunch of people ready to turn the fuck up if the demand ain't met. I believe in meeting with folks. Don't get me wrong. I think there can be a thousand meetings for all I give a shit, and there should be. But we need to be lifting each other up, not competing with each other. Every single meeting, we need to be saying the same thing, no matter where it happens and no matter who it's with. Power is when there are consequences for people disappointing you. As my friend Rashad Robinson says, if people aren't worried about disappointing you, then maybe we have to reassess our relative level of power. So let me ask you again. You going to let this man talk to you like that or not? Nah? <laughs> okay, so here's what we want more of this week, though. Number one, electoral college affirming what we already knew. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Toupe fiasco, lost. Again, this is like the fourth or fifth time he's lost, and it's starting to feel like Groundhog Day. But I will admit it, Lady does get a little cackle each time. <laughs> Other things we want more of this week, child, please, Lord, a vaccine for the Rona. Now listen, here's how I feel about this. Halle fucking Luyah. I know this isn't the end-all be-all, and a part of it is because we're not at the end because too many of y'all still think that masks are a government conspiracy. But for me, a vaccine represents not having to depend on the intelligence of America for my health. There's lots of suspicion out there about the vaccine and about vaccines in general. And for people who are already health compromised, your anxiety about the safety of this vaccine is totally valid. It hasn't been out there long enough to know what the impacts are going to be on you. You have unique circumstances, and I get that. So I'm not talking to y'all when I say this thing I'm about to say. I'm talking to the rest of y'all. You know what lady likes? Not having smallpox or measles or polio or whooping cough. And you know why? Because I was vaccinated for them. Vaccines are what keep us safe from YouTube doctors and people's conspiracy theories. There's lots of ways that the government is trying to control you. Believe me, I I'm with you on that one. Vaccines are basically to keep you healthy so that you can keep working and keep reproducing. I mean, that's it. That's the conspiracy. <laughs> it's called capitalism. <laughs> so I will tell you what, as soon 
And I mean, as soon as that vaccine is available to little old me, I'm going to take it. I don't want the Rona. I don't want measles. I don't want whooping cough. I don't want none of it. So shoot me up. I miss human interaction and Zoom just ain't cutting it for me. And if what's standing between me and endless Zoom forever is a vaccine, well, child, you already know what it is. <laughs> Last thing that Lady loves this week is Bay Area on the map. Yes, 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 y'all. This week's versus battle is between the legends. E-40 out of Vallejo and Too Short out of Oakland. And I wanted you to know, I'm in there. <laughs> I was excited-ish about Ashanti versus Keisha Cole, particularly because I'm Team Keisha, because Obvi, Oakland. But since Ashanti got the Rona, I guess this is what we're working with, child. <laughs> it should have happened sooner, to be honest. But hey, everything in its own time. Tune in next week for my verdict on the versus battle. Thank you, Jamel. I swear, I love this conversation. I'm so glad Same. you came on the pod today. Tell the people how they can find you on the socials and tell people how they can find all the things that you're working on. So, um, and take notes if you need to, people. Um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a podcast on Spotify, Jamel Hill is Unbothered, that, uh, you know, I certainly enjoy uh, doing. I have a lot of great guests. The one this week is with Taraji Henson. Next week is Method Man. So come on, come on, yeah, yes. that'll be dope. One of these days, Alicia is going to grace my podcast. I would <laughs> okay. love it. Yes, <laughs> one of these days that is going to happen. So I, I have a lot of fun doing that. I also have a, a show on Vice with Carrie Champion called uh, "Won't Stick to Sports." Thursdays, 11.30 p.m. Eastern. Yes. And I'm a contributing writer to The Atlantic, so you can look for my pieces there. And on social media, very simple. I'm Jamel Hill everywhere. Facebook, yes. Twitter, Instagram, same place. <laughs> so, And no, I'm not on TikTok, and I'm not in Clubhouse, so okay. I ain't there. <laughs> you're, you're not missing anything, child, but we don't talk about that another time. <laughs> Jamel, you are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you so much. Thank you, sis. Appreciate it. And you, man, yeah. you just keep trucking along. You know what? You need Look, you need some extra Detroit heat. Let me know. <laughs> I got you, dog. I got you. <laughs> And that's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I'll be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute. We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you just ain't gonna take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear about on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Latirix. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember... Racial terrorism must not be tolerated. And to achieve this, we got to start by calling it what it is. Proximity to power is not power. And as my mama used to say, you teach people how to treat you. I don't know anyone who has lost a thing as many times as Donald Trump, but this must certainly be the thing he's the greatest in the world at. And I have never been more ready to gas break dip. 2021, 
Take us away. <laughs> That's right. I said it. Because lady don't take no. Lady don't take no shit. Insist don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak unless it's something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so serious. People stay curious. She got a natural way. Her hips way furious. Little luxurious. Carries herself like the cutest, most courteous. Love y'all.